we've been doing a series, uh, and it's titled, We Need to Talk. And uh, we're a couple weeks in now, and what I want to do is, because tonight's going to be much different, no sermon tonight, uh, tonight's going to be a much different thing, but what I want to do is I want to remind you where we've been in this series. So in the first week, we talked a lot about maturity. You know, this whole series is when it comes to dating, how do we honor Christ? Dating is something that is popular in our culture today. Uh, It's something that happens a lot in our culture today, and we open it up with, are you even ready to date? You know, we looked at spiritual maturity, we looked at relational maturity, and, and we asked some hard questions. Really, week one, we found this. We found that if we are not in a place with Jesus Christ, where we have a healthy relationship with him, then the last thing we need to do is go start a relationship with another person. Can I get an amen? Amen? <laughs> That's not going to do anything for you. All right? If you are not growing in health in your relationship with Jesus, the last thing you need to do is go start a relationship with a person. Uh, because the relationships that you have are going to suffer if the relationship you have with Jesus is suffering. And that's what we found week one, that ultimately we have to be at a place with the Lord where we are growing and where we're maturing. Not where we're perfect, that doesn't happen until heaven, but a place where we're maturing and we're growing. Last week we talked about the fellas. <laughs> I'm grateful y'all came back. <laughs> I'm grateful y'all came back. Uh, last week we looked at 1 Timothy chapter 6, and the ladies, we, we gave some, some signs to look for when it comes to a godly man. And I won't recap all those, but essentially it came down to a man of God is running from the world, but he's also running towards Jesus Christ actively, whether that be theology, whether that be pride, whether that be the love of money, whatever it is, he's running towards Jesus Christ. Well, today is November 1st, and if somebody hadn't said it to you, let me be the first one to say it. Merry Christmas. (laughs) So I'm talking about Christmas has arrived, eh? Christmas has arrived. Ain't it nice? Don't you love this season, man? Christmas has arrived. I don't know if you can see him, but I got my Christmas socks on, and my wife's embarrassed, but I'm going to show him. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Let me, let me look at that. Look at that. Boom. It, oh. <laughs> there we go. Look at uh, Santa on the sleigh. That's right. You see that right there. It's Christmas. You go through the stores. You go into Walmart. You hear Christmas music playing, man. I love it. I love Christmas. Thanksgiving's cool, but I love Christmas. Amen. <laughs> Well, tonight, it is week three, and we'll continue our series, but tonight we're going to do it very different. Tonight is going to be an interview and a Q&A style, so no sermon. It's going to be a much different style tonight. I'm going to be up here asking the questions, uh, but I'm excited because we're going to talk about biblical womanhood. We're going to talk about what the Bible says about women, and we're going to ask some hard questions. Fellas, last week we got through it. Now it's time to talk about the ladies. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, to do this, I have the great privilege, and I really do. I want you to get as hype as you can. Because I had the great privilege to bring up my wife, Hannah Harris. Yes. <laughs> I hope that you have met my wife at some point. She has been at The View longer than I have. And uh, she's going to share a little bit about her story and, and where she came from. But I'm excited. I have some questions lined up for her that we're going to ask her. And we're going to work through these Q&A style. Hannah, thank you for being with us. Yes, of course. Of course. Thank you. You don't <laughs> have an option. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. You got to be here with us. Yeah. But I'm excited to ask you some questions because we have never done this. And uh, my wife, Hannah, is fantastic. Like I said, if you have not met her, please make sure you meet her after this. But Hannah, won't you tell them a little bit about yourself and what you do for a living? Awesome. You're so cute. Sorry. <laughs> I am glad that you acknowledge that I have been at the view longer than you. So you often She's a view vet. I am. I predated Daniel. So um, I saw him when he first walked into the view that um, that day and all the fun stuff that came with that. So um, I have been here longer. But yeah, I'm Hannah. If I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you after this. And so 
Um, a little bit about me. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. I got saved when I was seven years old, and I know that that's when I um, came to know the Lord. I grew up with some great parents, and they um, really modeled discipleship for me. And so from a young age, they preached the gospel to me. And I really do believe that um, that's when I got saved was when I was seven. And so that was the best decision that I've ever made. Um, now, obviously, I have not walked with the Lord <laughs> perfectly since then. I've had many um, trials and many times where I have just failed in my walk with the Lord. But he has just been so faithful to me. Um, and it's been such a sweet, special um, relationship with him. And so, um, yeah, not to go into too many details, um, College was a big time where I, my faith really became my own because I grew up in a Christian home. Um, I kind of rode the coattails a little bit of my parents' faith because they kind of forced me to go to church, you know, like every Sunday and um, Wednesday it was part of the gig. And so in college, I really had to make a decision um, to, um, you know, am I going to continue with the faith that my parents um, brought me up mm -hmm. in? And so um, college was a really pivotal time for me. I went to University of Memphis and so go yeah, Tigers go. That's right, that's right. And uh, I got a degree in uh, English. And so I um, then went back and got my master's in education. So I'm an English teacher. Um, at Bartlett Ninth Grade Academy, so that's right. Went, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, I hang out with ninth graders all day. So I have so many stories. Uh, we're currently teaching Romeo and Juliet, so all the fun things. But mm. that's a little bit about me. What's well, been cool about our marriage, how the Lord does it, is of course she got saved when she was seven and really owned her faith in college. And when I was in college, I was a hoodlum and lost. And, and, you know, two completely different testimonies, but the Lord has brought us together because it brings ultimate glory to him. Um, Hannah, thank you for doing this. And I want to jump into I feel so official. <laughs> like yeah, an yeah, I know, I feel so official. <laughs> Let's jump on into it here. What? Over. <laughs> so, <laughs> like I got an earpiece going up. What'd you say? Got it. Uh, what, when you think about, so last week, we're doing this series on relationships. And last week we talked about a godly man and we, we went in on what uh, the Bible says about a godly man. But when you look at scripture and when you've studied scripture when it comes to biblical womanhood, what do you find scripture to say about uh, biblical womanhood? Yeah, the Bible says so much about biblical womanhood. So this is a question just to preface. I'm going to spend the most time on this question tonight. We're going to really break it, um, break it down. And so before we jump into really what does the Bible say about godly womanhood, we need to break down the question. So English major here, right? English teacher. And so um, looking at what does the word godly mean and then what does the word uh, woman mean? And so um, the first thing that in order for you to be a godly, whether you're a man or a woman, godly person, right, that follows the Lord, you first have to know God, right? So no matter who you are, you need a relationship with the Lord first and foremost, right? Mm -hmm. So before you ever get into what does the Bible say about being a godly woman, you have to have a relationship with the Lord. Yeah. So my first piece of advice for you tonight is that if you are dating someone and they do not know the Lord, you should not be dating them. That's, That's right. just the honest truth, right? right? The Bible calls us not to be unequally yoked. And so um, also evaluate your own life, right? Do you have a relationship with the Lord? And we're just saying exactly what that looks like, right? To know that, hey, that the Lord designed the world, a perfect world. He wanted a perfect relationship with you, but we chose to sin and we still choose to sin, right? And how, and we can all, you know, talk about more about what sin looks like, but you and I know that, um, that we have done things that have gone against God's design. And so um, it's believing, right, that Jesus was a real person, that he lived, that he died, and that he rose again three days later, right? And the Bible says, my favorite verse is in Romans, and it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. For the, with the heart, 
one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. I love that verse, by the way. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So first and foremost, the heart for of my heart and your heart, right, is that for you to know the Lord. And that's why we share the gospel at literally every view service, because we know that in a room this big, there are people who don't know the Lord. So if that's you, um, or maybe someone that you love, like be praying tonight that that person will get saved, you know? Mm-hmm. And if you have questions about that, like, please come talk to us. We'll be back there um, at the end of the service, and there's a number mm-hmm. that you can text. I should have that memorized, but I don't. So, um, y'all but, do. Nathaniel has it memorized. Nathaniel, yeah, Nathaniel has it memorized. Most y'all oh, no, he doesn't. Trey does. Oh, there it is. 901 It's the Curtis number. That's all I know. All right. So um, first off, right, that you have to be, uh, you have to know the Lord before you can ever be godly. So God, let's talk about godliness. Assume that you know the Lord. So what is godliness? Godliness is sanctification. It means that you are actively pursuing to look more like Christ every day. Hint the word actively pursuing. Mm-hmm. All right. It doesn't mean it's not perfection, right? None of us will be perfect. Um, until we reach, reach heaven, right? But it's an active pursuit after the heart of the Lord. So I love the verse, Luke 9, 23. It says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Mm. Daily. And that was Luke 9, 23, right? And I'll say it one more time. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So if you look just at that verse alone, right, we see that in order to be actually pursuing God, right, there's a denial of yourself and your selfishness and your, and your desires, right, a denial of the flesh, right? And so it's a constant of taking off, right, of repenting of sin and putting on the things of God. Um, one of the things you can put in your notes is Colossians 3 is really the blueprint for living a godly mm-hmm. life. We don't have time to go into all of that tonight or I would be up here for... As long as you're typically up here. <laughs> oh <my laughs> Just kidding. <goodness>. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. All right, but okay. I can say that on the okay. wife. All right, but all Colossians right. three. All right. Okay. Um, if you yeah. walk through. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you okay? Well. Okay. <laughs> Let's not do this. <laughs> abort. Abort. All right. Um, Colossians three. All right. It's the blueprint for living a godly life. So in Colossians three, it talks about seeking heavenly things and it talks about running from sin. Specifically, it talks about running from the sin of sexual immorality, which we'll get to more in the next couple of weeks. And it talks about putting on the fruit of the Spirit. So godliness is an action, all right? Again, actively pursuing the heart of God. Godliness is an action. Um, So you're actively praying for the Lord to conform, to change you and conform you more and more into his image. So one of the things that I've learned about godliness is that it's really also a submission Mm. to God's authority. And that's for everybody, Right, and we like to, church. We throw out this word submission a lot, specifically when it comes to women. But really, godliness is is any believer right submitting to God's authority for their life. Again, it goes back to that denying of yourself and depending and the dependence that we have on ourselves and trusting a greater authority with our life. And y'all, I know for me that's really hard for me to do because um, it means that we lose control. But it's also beautiful because it means we are trusting the Lord, um, who is the ultimate source of good, yeah. right? Who has literally never failed. And we mm-hmm. can go through all the promises of the Bible to see that, right? Who's the most trustworthy, most powerful, most loving, and the most good. Mm. And so what's so cool about the Christian life, and it's so countercultural, is that really, right, sacrifice ends up being the ultimate fulfillment for us, mm. right? When we lay down, right, ourselves, right? And that's what Christ did, right? He gave the ultimate 
sacrifice, right, his own life, and for us to be ultimately fulfilled. And so, and that's the same in marriage, and that's the same in relationships, right, is that it takes sacrifice for it to be a fulfilling relationship, right? And that can be, you can apply that to any relationship that you have in your life. So this is where it starts for everyone, right? Know God and actively pursue him every day. So with that part, the godliness part answered, what does it mean to be a woman? Mm. It's kind of a loaded question, <laughs> loaded question in our um, in our culture, right? Over the decades, um, the definition of womanhood has changed, and we're not going to get into whole history of it. Um, if you want to know more in the history of all that, come find me later. I'd love to walk you through the history of womanhood, all right? Um, but currently, right, our culture has destroyed and twisted gender and sexuality. Mm. Um, for example, right, um, in 2015, Caitlyn Jenner won Woman of the Year. Mm. Okay? Everyone know who Caitlyn Jenner is? In 2015, she won woman of the year, which personally I was offended by because I've been a woman longer and I still have not won. Um, and so, you know, okay. All right. But my point is, right, is that womanhood today, womanhood is whatever you feel. Mm. It's based off feelings. It's whatever you feel. Um, you want to be a girl boss? Go for it, right? And you're going to be celebrated for it. Okay. Want to be one of those like granola moms? Great. Awesome go for it. You're going to be celebrated and be called a successful woman, right? If you are a guy and you want to be a woman, great, right? That's what our culture says. Go for it. And not only go for it, but we will celebrate you for it. We'll, we'll champion you and say, yes, this is what womanhood looks like. So what's sad about that is that when there is nothing wrong, when we say there's no wrong in our society because there is no truth in our society. Mm. And when you eliminate truth, right, then how can you even define what womanhood is? You can't, right? It loses its meaning and its power when you say that anything and anyone can be a woman, mm. right? And so personally, I'm offended by that, right? Because I, and that's why, y'all, it's so important that you have got to build your life around truth. That's right. Right? Or things lose their power. There's right. no power in it, right? There's nothing special about it when anyone or anything has access to it. Mm-hmm. Right? So you've got to build your life around, um, around something that is truth, right? We can't say that everything is truth, and it can't be just based off what you feel. That's right. And so that's why I love the Bible. And so um, if you turn to Genesis 1 through 3, we're going to be um, kind of all over Genesis um, here for the first couple of minutes, all right? Um, And Genesis 1 through through 3 really clearly identifies what a woman is and her purpose. So this is right after the Lord creates uh, the world, right? And so in Genesis 1, verses 27, he says, "'Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, "'and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea "'and over the birds of the heavens "'and over the livestock and over all the earth "'and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth.'" So God created, this is verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, so notice what he's about to say is a calling, not just to the man, not just to the woman, it's to both, okay? He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth, all right. So first, we learn that males and females are created in the image of God. All right. That's for men and women, which means in Christ, there is no partiality. This is really important. Mm-hmm. All right. Also, it shows that God created male and female. There are, there are two 
sexes, right? There's the male and there's the female. So therefore, now this is a big statement. I can't say this everywhere, but I can say it here. All right, therefore, your sexuality, which is the physical part of you that makes you a male or a female, your sexuality, right? That determines your gender. Your gender would be your psychology or the social part of you. Okay, I'll say that again. Your sexuality, the physical part of you, again, God created male and female, all right? That is what determines your gender or your, the psychological or the social part of you. Your gender does not determine your sexuality. Mm-hmm. So in other words, the way that you may feel, okay, does not get to change the way that God made you. Mm-hmm. All right, again, that's a very controversial statement in our culture today. But mm-hmm. again, Scripture is very clear that he made male and female. So as a woman, what that means is that I have just as much access to God as a man does, right? There's no partiality when it comes to my relationship with the Lord. Um, I can have a relationship with him. I reflect his image um, and I can be, and I'm called to be fruitful and multiply and to have dominion over the earth. Now, most of you probably think, oh, that just means have kids, right? Well, It was to both the man and the woman, right? And so it doesn't just mean have kids because I think if you look at Matthew 28, which is the Great Commission, um, Mm. the Lord Jesus, he talks about, right, filling the earth with the gospel. So I think that even if you, because some people never get married, and you talked about that a couple of weeks ago, Mm -hmm. right? So if Mm -hmm. you never get married, right, and you never, you know, are fruitful and multiply when it comes to children, right? What are you supposed to be fruitful and multiply in, right? The command expands more than just having physical kids. It's talking about spiritual, right? And discipleship and who are you pouring into, right? And almost like spiritual kids in a way, right? Mm -hmm. And filling Mm -hmm. the earth with not just uh, with people, but also with um, scripture. So one of my favorite verses is Colossians 3.10. Again, going back to Colossians 3. Um, it says that here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And so there is equality in my identity and calling as a believer. All right? So again, male and female, we have the same identity in Christ, right? We can all have relationships with the Lord. doesn't matter. Gender does not matter when it comes to my relationship and my calling as a believer, right? I'm called to share the gospel and to make disciples and to love my neighbor just like Daniel is called to love, love God, lift women up to that same equality with, with men. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. that's another conversation. But that's one of the reasons why I love Christianity. Mm-hmm. So if you look a little bit closer at Genesis 2, there are some differences and how I live out my calling as a godly woman, all right? So again, my identity as a believer in Christ is one of no partiality, right? I have equality with Christ, right? Just like Amanda's. But in how I live out my calling as a woman, there are different roles. So there are boundaries that God creates in the garden. And a lot of times we think of boundaries as bad, right? My ninth graders hate boundaries. They're like, they want to push all the boundaries, right? And so they think of them as bad. Um, but really boundaries are create, create more freedom to do what we are designed mm-hmm. to do. That's right. So for example, right, um, we both um, played basketball growing up. Like mm-hmm. you coached and I played. So that was one of the things we had in common was basketball. I played too. You I did? too. A little bit. You did. You I played, played too. I played a little bit. I, play. I was but a better you coach. More than I was a better play. coach than I was a player. Yeah. But I'll beat you one-on-one. Wow, really? Hmm, we haven't played one I don't know. I think I do more cardio than you. <laughs> all those sugar cookies. Oh, don't laugh sugar at that. Cookies. Don't laugh at that. Come on, man. Don't I laugh don't at that. You're supposed to have my back, man. And <laughs> yeah, you put yourself in that. <laughs> all right. So, but talking about boundaries, right? When it comes to like basketball, for example, right? Boundaries, um, if we don't have boundaries in basketball, if there are no, are no lines, if there are no rules, is it, is it even basketball anymore? Can you play the game? <laughs> 
No, you can't, right? So really, right, boundaries creates freedom to play the game. And so God created batteries, ba- batteries, boundaries in the garden. Um, like, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that gave men and women the most freedom, right? His boundaries, the roles that he gives us, gives us the most freedom to live the life that we were designed to live, mm-hmm. okay? So don't view the boundaries that God has placed on us as bad. View them as a way for us to have, again, the most fulfillment. No. He wants our most good. So um, one of the boundaries that he places, we can see it clearly in Genesis 2, um, verses 15 through 25. So I'm going to read those verses. You can turn over a page. Genesis 2, uh, verses 15. Good, that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God hath formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and, bought, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not um, found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said that this is at last a bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So these are the boundaries. Let me be clear about this. So these verses are the boundaries that are placed in the context of marriage. All right, no, no, this is not about marriage. I'll hit singleness too. But these verses specifically, Eve was created right in the context of marriage. So not to oppress, right, but to bless. That was the point of the boundaries, right? Again, not to be oppressive, but mm-hmm. to bless. Yeah. Um, our culture has said that the boundaries within marriage are oppressive, but that was not God's intent, all right? Um, Men, right, do not get the privilege to carry and deliver a baby, right? That's a blessing only given to women. Women do not get to be the head of their household. This is a blessing and honor given to men. Again, there are boundaries, right? In marriage, women get the honor and the privilege to be a helper. Now, our culture has typically equated being a helper to, like, servitude, right? Like, make me a sandwich type thing, right? But the Hebrew language equates this to being, this is so cool, and I'm not going to get into all the crazy Hebrew words here, but if you study it, the Hebrew language equates this word helper to being a strong, visible help from God the Father himself. Mm. So where it's used, so in other words, the same words used here are the same words used when God the Father provides help. All right? So Again, in other words, being a helper is not a role that is less significant or less important. It means that man could literally not fulfill their calling without help from God. So what did God do? He created woman, right? So in other words, right, that is a high calling, all right? And again, this is the calling within the context of marriage, right? Me being married to Daniel, that means I am his helper, all right, I'm not going to you know, so help everyone, okay, right? <laughs> that I'm called, yeah. right, to help him, and I'm called to submit to his leadership because I am married to Daniel, right? So prior to marriage, because most of you guys are not married, so prior to marriage, right, or if let's say you never marry, then you continue, right, to do what you're originally called to do, right? Love God, love your neighbors, share the gospel, make disciples. And I cut two women that are single in Scripture, as far as we know, that 
that we can see good examples of this is actually the woman at the well in John 4 and Mary Magdalene in John 20, right? Both are single women. And what's so cool is that the Lord reveals himself to these single women, right? He reveals, hey, he tells them like, hey, I'm the Messiah to uh, the woman at the well. And then he says, hey, I resurrected to Mary Magdalene, who's, he's, she's actually the first person he reveals himself to, which is a woman. Love that. And so he, right, he reveals himself to them and he says, hey, go and tell, right? He gives these single women these callings in scripture to then go and share the gospel. (laughs) So to sum it all up, right, the Bible is full of strong, independent, compassionate, godly women who know God intimately, pursue godliness, and live out their roles as ambassadors for the gospel. Then if they get married, they do all the same things in marriage, but they also help their spouse and eventually their children. So being a godly woman is a high calling of influence. That's what it means to be a woman. Mm -hmm. You have a high calling of influence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when women and men choose um, sin over the Lord, there are horrible consequences to that. You can look at Genesis 3, when women use their influence um, for, 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 you know, for, um, they follow sin instead. So a couple of questions I have for you would be that girls, who are you influencing and how are you influencing them? That's good. And then guys, what type of women are you being influenced by? Mm. Okay. That's all I got for the first question. <laughs> That's good. Um, I'll ask you this. You disciple college girls, you have relationship with college girls. What are the biggest lies of the enemy that you see college girls believing? And then even to that, what was the biggest lie you believed as a college girl from the enemy when you were in college? Yeah, I think we see, I see all the, I mean, we see a lot of lies, right? That college girls um, believe. A lot of lies that, you know, our culture believes, unfortunately, guys and girls, and they're often similar. Um, I think one of the ones that I notice a lot is that um, a lot of girls believe that their worth is determined by something else other than Christ. Um, so they don't really need him mm. because their worth is, is put into other things. I see it with, um, when you see girls run to guys, being just considered a good girl, um, being successful, maybe their intellect, their looks, again, their influence. They can put a lot of um, their um, identity and influence um, or even their friends, right? And so um, I see girls and guys, again, put way more time into those areas um, instead of their relationship with the Lord because that's where they're finding their validation as a person and they're not finding their validation through Christ. And so um, they don't spend time with the Lord. Um, They believe the lie that they don't need the Lord because they they don't, right? They are finding their um, purpose and their uh, fulfillment in all these other areas. And eventually they run dry but um, that's probably one of the biggest biggest things that I see um, is, again, like the Lord's just not their ultimate source of life. And they believe the lie that they need these other things more than they need the Lord. Mm. So they prioritize. Again, it can go back to something simple as school. That was me. I put a lot of my identity in school. Mm-hmm. I got, you know, I always was just taught to like, you know, work really hard, make good grades. And so I did, right? That, hey, if I follow this track and I'm, the, you know, will one day be successful. And so, and I put a lot of my identity <laughs> in the ability um, to do well and to, you know, be a quote unquote mm-hmm. successful person, right? Check all the boxes. Um, and so when I'm putting all of my identity in that, right, I don't need the Lord. <laughs> That's the lie, right? That's the consequence of believing the lie is I don't need to spend time with him daily, right? Because he's not my source of life. Um, 
And that's a dangerous place to be. That led me personally into a lot of pride. It led me into um, a lot of sin that I did not want to be in um, when I put my identity in something else. So that's one of the things I see. Um, Before you keep going, one mm -hmm. thing with, uh, you talked about validation. And when it pertains to dating, when it comes to evaluation, when it comes to decision-making, for all of us, I think it's a great word you said with validation, but I'm going to speak to the fellas for a minute. Fellas, when it comes to dating, let me remind you before we even go any further, that you are looking for the person you're gonna spend the rest of your life with. You're looking for the future mother of your kids. You're looking for your wife. These are questions that you should ask. And when it comes to her validation, where does she find her validation from? Is her validation gonna be in you? Because you can't give that to her. I can't give that to Hannah. But if, if she is looking for her validation in you, that's a red flag. Is her validation in the culture? Is it in the society? Is it in, as Hannah says, I want to I wanna stop on some of those things she listed. Is it her popularity? Is it her influence on Instagram and TikTok? Is that where she finds her validation and her affirmation? Or is it in the Lord? Is it in her looks and how she displays herself on Instagram? Fellas, these are questions you want to ask before you jump into a relationship with somebody. But our culture is so quick to jump the gun and jump the gun and go official and get into a relationship, put a status on it, that we don't ask those kind of questions. But for me, when I was looking to start pursuing Hannah, even before dating, before we were boyfriend and girlfriend and went official on the gram, I asked those kind of questions. First about myself and where I'm finding my validation. Is my validation in money or success or anything else? And then once I've asked that question about me before we begin dating, I need to find out where does Hannah find her validation at? Where does she find her affirmation? Who is her source of life? Fellas, I'm telling you, when it comes to dating, the name of the game, what scripture speaks about, it speaks about evaluation. It speaks about decision-making. And ladies, I spoke to you last week a lot about the men, but fellas, I'm telling you, you need to ask those kind of questions. First about yourself, but when it comes to dating, you need to look and see who has her heart. Does the Lord have her heart or does something else have her heart? Because if something else has her heart, she's not ready to date. And you don't want to jump into that. And so I just, I want to stop for that for a moment. And jump yeah, that I think again. that's great. And also with that, it takes time. Mm -hmm to see where a person's validation is. Um, mm -hmm. We took a lot of time before we started dating. We were friends for probably six months Six months before yep. we actually started jumping into a relationship. And over yep. those six months, which I'm not saying that's what you have to do, right? But um, over those six months, I was able to, to watch, watch <laughs> and see over a long amount of time <coughs> where Daniel found his worth and where he found his validation, you know? And for he was able us, to do the same for me. For some of us, we hear six months and we're like, no shot. Yeah. <laughs> some of us in here, literally, when she says six months, you're like, no shot, no shot. Why? Because after six days, we want to be official. Let's be real. I mean, we, I'm so sorry I cut you off, but so quickly we want it. We just want it like that because we have no patience in our culture today. We have no patience. We're not willing to wait on the Lord. And when you're not willing to wait on the Lord, you're certainly not willing to date on God's timing. I'm just telling you that, man. I'm just telling you. Time. She just said six months and it was hard. It was difficult. But I found out a lot about her and she found out a lot about me. So are you willing to take the time? Yeah. And that's another thing is like, I want to make sure that the person I marry, that these are not just like, it's not just a phase. That's right. Right? That these were, ha the habits that I saw Daniel displaying were habits that he was going to have for life. And it wasn't a, a phase one in three months, right? Mm -hmm. And so I mm -hmm. wanted to make sure, again, that this was real, that this was the real deal. And only time was going to be able to answer those questions for me. Yeah. Um, the issue is, is that we don't want to wait because we want the control. It doesn't fit our um, plan. Or it leads me to the second lie that I was going to talk about, which the lie that you think you deserve something. Mm. 
And that's where a lot of us fall into. We think, oh, finally, we found someone who likes me back. Or, oh, this person's like checks all the boxes. I deserve this, mm. right? Or, um, and we often buy into that, right? That lie that we deserve something. I mean, our culture tells us we deserve whatever we want. I mean, self-care, right? Like, you do you. All of those things. And when in reality, right, we really don't deserve we don't deserve anything, right? Everything good is a gift from the Lord. Mm-hmm. Everything good is a gift from the Lord. And he loves you and he wants to give you good things, right? And he wants to bless you, those of you who are obedient to him, right? But we should not be living for God because you want something from him, mm-hmm. right? We should be living for God because we love him. Yeah. And a lot of times, especially if you grew up in the church, because look, that's just my story. Again, we're very different when it comes to our backgrounds. And that's what's so <clears> cool of <throat> seeing the Lord bring us together. Um, but one of the things I struggle is I would oftentimes find myself like loving and really <clears throat> living for, trying to live for the Lord because I thought that if I did, I would get something out of it. Mm-hmm. That I'd get a godly husband or I'd get great friends or whatever, fill in the block fill in the blank, right? And that was wrong. And the Lord had to convict me of that because again, I loved what the Lord could give me more than I loved the Lord. Mm. And I hate to admit that, but that was where I was. That's where I was. And so again, just to remind remind you, right? We don't deserve anything. Every single thing is a gift from the Lord. Every single thing. Um, I think another lie is that we believe that our sin is too big for God. Right. I see girls, uh, a lot of girls uh, fall into that, into that lie, right? That they believe their sin is too big for the Lord that they put, again, it goes back to where they put their worth, you know, and do they put their worth in their goodness, right? Or in their morals. And so once they break, right, that moral or that thing, they say, oh, I would never, ever, 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 ever do this. And then they do it, right? Because we're sinful human beings and we're going to mess up, right? Then they just, they think that the Lord would never love them. And that goes back to having a wrong view of, of a relationship with the Lord. That's just a wrong view of God, yeah. right? The God, right? Now, does he gonna, is he going to judge sin? And is he going to, does he hate sin? Absolutely. But he loves you mm-hmm. and he doesn't want you to stay in it. And he's God. There's literally nothing too big for the Lord, yeah. right? And so if you believe that your sin is too big for the God, for God, like, please, like, Stop believing that lie because he says, hey, I want your sin. My burden is light. I will take your sin no matter what it is. And I will give you, um, I will give you me, right? And I will lift those burdens. And that's incredible promise. And so, um, and oftentimes, right, the girls believe that they're just too far gone. And a lot of times that happens in college because in college we deal with some sins that we, again, we don't always, um, aren't always in, in in high school because we're out of our, you know, watchful eye of our parents. And so um, a lot of times that happens. I see that with college girls. Um, and then lastly, some, one lie I see girls believe is that the Christian life is just not worth it because it means giving up sin. Mm. Again, sin is pleasure. It is, it's fun, right? And so I see a lot of girls just simply, they don't want to walk away from the lifestyle that they're living. Yeah. And for that, right, you just need, you need a bigger view of who God is, right? Because once you know God, then you will no longer want to live in sin. When we really start to understand what the Lord has done for you and you really start to understand the gospel, you'll realize that any sacrifice is worth it as long as you get to be with him. Um, but I see that one a lot as well. So again, for me personally, I would say that the lie that I struggled with the most was, I believe, you know, that phrase, like I'm an independent woman, don't need no man type thing. That was me, like for real. I was like, I'm an independent person and I don't really need anybody. That was the lie that I had in college. My parents, um, I moved, they moved like away from me in college. It's kind of like, you know how you're supposed to leave your parents. My parents left me type of thing. Um, 
And so they moved to Alabama. So I was in Memphis really all by myself. And now I knew people, but I didn't have my parents. And so I became very independent here um, in Memphis. And so I worked, I, I paid a lot of my own bills. There were still some things my parents helped me out with, but I was pretty much in that mindset that I could figure out pretty much anything on my own. Um, and so, and again, I grew up being you know, pretty, pretty good at most things I tried to do and having people say like, oh, like you're really good at this or, you know, great job with that. And so it ended up being, I ended up being very dependent on, on my own ability. Um, And that's something that I see people struggle with all the time, right? Is that we put so much um, of our own dependence on ourselves that, hey, like we can figure this out. I can get myself out of this, right? And we don't ask for help. um, And we, we try just to work ourselves, work harder to get out of whatever situation that we are in. Um, And at the end of the day, that's just pride. And so I became, I was, I was really, that's really, that's what I struggle with most of my life is just pride. I still struggle with that today. Um, you know, cause you live with me, <laughs> but, um, right. But pride is something that, um, the Lord has to break you of. And when I began, the Lord really started breaking that of me when I realized, um, again, just the gravity of my sin and how I cannot, I literally can't even save my soul. Why do I think that I can um, even do the littlest things on my own? And so just as the Lord continues to reveal more of my sin and my weaknesses, do I see just how big and how good God is? Um, And and that will make you humble very quickly. And it just goes with spending more time with the Lord. The more time you spend with the Lord, the less pride you're going to have. And so as I became disciplined in my walk with the Lord, the Lord started breaking me of a lot of pride that I had in my life. Um, Mm. Those are probably some of the the biggest um, lies that I see. One other one, this is random, because you talked about this actually earlier, and I wasn't, this was already in my notes, I wasn't even planning on, we didn't talk about this, but I was, one of the lies I see a lot right now are um, college students thinking that, um, that the church is just so broken that it's, that you should just leave it, like the local church. Um, so I see a lot of college students walk away from the local church um, because people fail them who are in the church, so they walk away from the church in a whole. And I think that that's something that um, is is really um, sad and horrible and something that um, is a lie from the enemy because yeah. God created the church. And yeah, right. it's not perfect, but he's right. also commanded us like to be, for a healthy church, you know, for, for, for you to be a healthy believer, you need to be part of a, of a local church. Right. And so... Um, we did not talk about that before, but that was something that also I noticed. And that's more, that's been more recent. Like I would say within the last maybe four years, that's something I noticed that people just get mad. So they try to go, again, they go do it on their own or they think, oh, I know what church is like. So let me go, yep. you know, find a, you know, whatever, a better church. And eventually like, you're not going to find a better church because you're going to find broken people everywhere. Yep. Um, but that's one thing that yep. I noticed as well. That's good. What I'm going to do is I'm going to jump to question four in a minute and I'm going to add one thing to what you said. Um, you talked about, their goodness, our goodness. And I see it with the guys too. Um, it's both ways that we kind of put our affirmation, our identity in our goodness. And what you're saying on that is you're saying people's perception of our goodness, our works, our holiness, how close we live to the Lord. So it's almost as if, and I've seen this happen with many people, that we work so hard, and please hear me on this, we work so hard to convince other people we're walking with God when we're not, that we actually convince ourselves we're walking with God when we're not. I want you to think about what I just said. I've watched, and I've been there myself, but I've seen many college students work so hard when they're not walking with God to convince others that they are, that they actually convince themselves they're walking with God when they're not. And that's a sad place to be, that as long as you can convince others you're godly, maybe you are. 
instead of pursuing real godliness, which is maturing in your faith, maturing in your Bible reading, maturing in your prayer, letting him sanctify you, that's a big deal. So when it comes to dating, I want to give you a great evaluation. Are you more concerned with your actual godliness or just that people perceive you as godly? Which one matters most to you? I got to ask myself the same question as a married man. Do I, do I care more about people thinking we're godly or do I actually just want to pursue godliness? Because in the end, if we're not pursuing godliness as a married couple, it doesn't matter what you think of us. So is your validation or your affirmation in how good you can convince other people you are? Because at the end of the day, every single person in this room is a broken sinner before the Lord that needs restoration and needs grace. And aren't you grateful for the grace of Jesus Christ? Amen because every single one of us needs it. So Hannah, let me ask you this question. We've been talking about spiritual maturity. Give me two sides here. What does it look like when a college girl is maturing in their faith? When you've discipled so many of them, you've seen so many of them maturing in their faith. And then what does it look like when a college girl is not maturing in their faith? Let's dig. Yeah, that's good. Um, I would say that a mature girl is not led by her emotions, um, but is but she's disciplined in her faith. Um, so someone who is walking in maturity is not being led by their emotions, um, but she is disciplined in her faith. Um, so this means that the girl understands that the heart is wicked above all else and that her emotions cannot have the driver's seat in her life. A couple of verses to back that up would be Jeremiah 17, 9 that says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? That's Jeremiah 17, 9. And then Proverbs 4, 23 says that above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Um, now, how do you evaluate, right, if a girl is mature or not? And so I would say look at two things. Look at her friends. Mm. Look at mm. her friends. Uh-oh. Look at the people she hangs out with. Uh-oh. Um, and Uh-oh. look at the words she uses around them. Mm. Because, again, Say that one more time. I'm sorry. I'm making noises. Say that one more time. That's okay. <laughs> you can evaluate. I couldn't hear because I'm sitting here. Oh, like, <laughs> say that one more time. So you can evaluate, all right, a girl's maturity and whether or not she's being led by her emotions or being disciplined in her faith by the people that she hangs out with. So look at her friends and then look at the words that she uses around her friends. Ooh. All right. And the reason why I say that is, again, the words that she uses around you can look very different than the words that she uses around her best friends. All right, again, the words she uses around her friends are going to look very different than the words she uses around her parents, okay? So her friends are going to be the biggest influence on her life, all right? Um, And so, look, if you like the girl but you don't like her friends, There may be some things the girl's maybe not showing you because, again, more than likely, her friends are influencing her, okay? We typically reflect the people that we hang around. Um, And so, um, and that happens even in marriage, right? The more that we hang out, the more I start talking like you and the more you start talking like me. It's part of it. So, same with friendship, right? That the more, the people you hang out with, that you're going to start replicating the things that they say and the things that they do. So, again, look at a girl's friends um, and the words that she uses around them. James 3 talks all about the tongue. And we're not going to get into that a lot tonight. But if you haven't read James 3, go look at James 3 this week. And it talks all about this tongue and, and your speech. And so a couple of questions that you can ask is, is her speech glorifying to the Lord or does she use it to tear people down? Mm. Again, you can really look at it in her friends. Does she build her friends up or does she tear her friends down? Mm, and unfortunately, people tear each other down a lot more than they build each other up. Yeah. All right. And again, that reveals her heart. And then how does, again, does she treat her friends? Does she have friends for selfish gain or because she actually loves them. 
So she's hanging out with the people that she's friends with because she's trying to get something from them or because she actually loves those people. Because that's how she'll do with you, guys, right? Is that she either will hang out with you because she's trying to get something from you or because she really loves you and you want her to hang out with you because she really loves you. Um, Again, look at her friendships. And then look at, is she easily angered um, or flustered? Again, that's a sign of of being led by emotions is if she's really quick to anger and that's emotional, right? She's not able to control her anger. And and James talks about that as well, about being slow to anger and quick to listen and slow to speak. Um, And so, and, and just like one bad thing, like ruin her day, right? Does one thing set her off for the rest of the day? Again, that would be being led by emotions. And ladies, I know, and this is everybody, because guys can be just as led as emotions oh, yeah, as girls yeah. can. Absolutely, um, absolutely. Yeah, and absolutely. so it really goes both ways here. But when it comes, again, to emotions, you want someone who is emotionally mature. Mm-hmm. That's what you're looking for. Someone who can, <clears throat> hey, if something doesn't go their way, they're not going to let that dictate how they treat other people. Yeah. Right? That they're yeah. filtering their emotions through the word of God. And y'all, that just takes time, right? We're still learning how to be emotionally mature. Yep. It's hard, right? Hard. It's hard not to immediately, right, when someone cuts in front of you not to say something, right? <laughs> it's it's hard when, I don't know, when when a friend betrays you not to just, you know, go go off at him, right? That can be really difficult, right? To really um, control your um, emotions. And so, um, but that's something that you want. You want someone who is emotionally mature because when you get married, there will be lots of conflict, right? Don't If you don't think there will be, then that's a lie that you're believing, all right? There that's will a, be conflict, no matter if you're both loving the Lord yeah. and pursuing after the Lord. That's a fantasy idea of marriage. Yeah. It's a fantasy idea of marriage. It's not, it's not a real... If you think that there's not conflicts and things you're going to have to work through in marriage, you have a fantasy view of marriage. You don't have a real view of marriage. When you have two broken people trying to live their lives together and glorify God, there's conflicts that come up with that, and you have to be able to work through conflict. Keep your train yeah. of thoughts. I'm coming right back to you because one of the benefits of us taking time was I got to saw how Hannah dealt with conflict. Yep. She got to see how I dealt with conflict. That was one of the benefits. But when you jump into it, you have no idea how they handle conflict, which is huge in marriage. Yeah, so in your dating relationship, I'll even add this as well. In your dating relationship, you should have conflict at some point, all right? If you've never had a fight and you're like, let's get married because we're perfect together, right? We never fight, okay? There's something wrong with the relationship, right? There's going to be conflict. There should be conflict because, again, you're two broken people. And you need to know before you ever marry someone, you have got to know how they work work through conflict. You have to know what kind of emotions, um, emotional maturity that they have. And you'll never know until you start working through conflict. Um, And then I would say, again, going back to being disciplined. So you want someone who is going to be disciplined in their faith. So what that means is they're disciplined in Bible reading, prayer, memorizing scripture, and again, joining the local church. Um, And you can evaluate this by her words. Look at, does the girl that you like, does she naturally talk about the Lord? Right? Does the Lord come up in conversation? Right? And maybe not, and not like 24 7. I mean, me and Daniel don't just talk about the Lord all the time, right? We have other conversations too. Sugar cookies. Yeah, we talk about sugar cookies, sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're almost to the Christmas ones. We're almost there. We're almost there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Almost. Me, I'm filtering through my words right now. Um, <laughs> my emotions about that. No, but, um, but again, think about how does, um, what, what is she, does she naturally talk about the Lord? Is that something mm-hmm. she wants to talk about? Or when you ask her questions about the Lord, does she dodge them? 
right? Mm. Um, and then ask yourself, are you asking questions about the Lord in your relationship? Do you bring up the Lord, right? As the guy, you really should lead out in that, right? Because, um, you know, ask questions like, hey, like, what are you learning about the Lord? And again, if she doesn't have, if she can't articulate what the Lord is teaching her, mm. then um, that might be a red flag, because maybe the Lord's not teaching her anything, right? I don't know. And so again, you have to ask questions in order to find these things out. Um, and then is she actively trying to go grow? There is no perfect person. There is no perfect girl, right? Everybody has faults. Um, and you're not, and you're going to be dealing, you're marrying someone or dating someone who is going to be a, uh, an imperfect person, but you want to see that they're growing, um, and that just takes time. Again, mm-hmm. nobody's perfect, but you want to see that they're making efforts to be disciplined in their walk with the Lord. And that's really, again, like um, why I married mm-hmm. Daniel was because he's not, he wasn't perfect, right? And he's still not perfect. As great as he is, he's still not perfect, right? But he's taking active steps in his walk with the Lord. And it goes through, it goes through his uh, spiritual disciplines. I know that he reads the Bible. I know that he prays. I know that he memorizes scriptures. I know that he shares the gospel. I trust that. I trust that more than any other area in his, area in his life. And that is, um, that's what brings me the most peace. I can follow him because he follows the Lord. Um, and that's what makes a, a healthy, godly relationship. And so on the flip side of that, right, those things kind of go hand in hand as far as like what, what does it look like um, when they're not maturing, when they're not being a mature uh, woman of their faith. And that means they're being led by their emotions and they are lacking in spiritual disciplines. That's what it looks like. Yeah. Uh, number five for on here. Similarly, you spoke about some red flags, but I want to see whether there are any other ones specifically in dating. What are any other red flags you give? Yeah, you gave a good verse on, um, on this question. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really like this verse, but it's okay. It's part of the Bible, I guess. So Proverbs 25, 24, it says, it was convicting. I read it. I was like, oh my. All right, Proverbs 25, 24, it says, better to live on the corner of a roof than to share a house with a nagging wife. And I was like, oh gosh, am I been, I was like, have I been nagging recently? Why do you put this verse on here? No, but, um, and this verse, it really was convicting because it talks about how like your actions can either bless someone or wear someone out, mm. you know, mm. um, your actions, again, they can either bless someone or they're going to just wear somebody out. And in, um, you know, in a relationship, you want someone who is life giving and who is, um, who is, who blesses you and not someone who just constantly like drains you, you know, especially if you're going to marry them because you're, you know, marriage is forever. And so, um, you know, you want to, you want to be, make sure that you're marrying someone who gives you life. So a couple of questions I had that you really, that I really do think are good evaluation (laughs) questions when it comes to girls. Um, and this is, and these can be applied to guys too. Here's the point I think that we, we both could say is that if you are not asking each other questions, um, then how are you going to know this is the person you want to spend the rest of your life with? You've got to ask hard questions to each other. Right? Answer it honestly. Is yes. worth it. Yes. Whatever you like, whatever sin they have, it will come out in marriage. It will, whether that's one year into marriage or five years into marriage, um, it will come out in marriage. And so you've got to ask the hard questions. It's better to have a hard conversation on on the front end than to be married with two kids and have to have that hard conversation then. And we right? don't want to have those hard conversations no, because it's uncomfortable fun. and we don't like being yeah. uncomfortable. So we would rather, and I've been guilty of it, just skate through a season and not ask hard questions to keep ourselves comfortable as opposed to doing what is most godly. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, and sometimes we don't want to ask the question because we already know the answer. Mm -hmm. And we just don't want to hear it because we know that once we hear the answer, then we have to do something about it. 
Yeah. So we're just like, oh, I don't want to hear it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but event, again, eventually you're going to have to deal with it, and it's better to deal with it before you have um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a marriage involved. So mm-hmm. a couple of questions to ask would be, are they choosing to live in a sin? So you need to ask specific questions about sin. You need to ask um, the girl in your life about um, porn. That's just something that, statistically speaking, you've got to ask girls. You should be asking guys, have they? when was the last time they watched porn? Guys, you need to be asking girls, when was the last time that they watched porn? That's good. Notice that my question's not if they have, it's when was the last time? Mm. When was the last time? That's how big of a pandemic pornography is right now, and it's wrecking girls mm-hmm. and guys. And again, um, yep. girls are just as acceptable um, to pornography as, um, as guys are. So, yep. so guys, you need to ask that question. Yeah. All right, you need to ask that question. You need to talk about gossip yep. with girls. Yep. You, need to, you need to, again, evaluate, are they a gossiper? That's the last thing you want is somebody who's going to gossip because if they're talking about their friends, one day when you're married, guess who they're going to talk about? Mm. You. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're going to talk all, not the good things. They're going to talk all about the bad things, and you do not want that. You've got to have someone you trust in marriage. Yep. That is yep. major. Right? You don't want to have someone who's going to talk bad about you, especially about, bad about you behind your back. But that's a lot of things, unfortunately, married women do is they talk bad about their husbands. Mm. So look at gossip. Ask about gossip. Ask about lying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, What's the statistic on lying? I was just trying to think of it in my brain, but it's somewhere along the lines of by the age of 7, 80, I'm butchering the statistic, but 80% of people have already told a lie. And there's a statistic yeah. on adults too where you, I think you can't go 10 minutes without the average adult telling two lies. I'll find it's a statistic. I'll post it on the view story this yeah. week at some point so you can get those exact statistics. But basically we can't have a 10 minute conversation without lying as adults yeah. on average. So you want to talk about, address that, right? Ask them, hey, is lying something that you struggle with? And then, are you lying to me? You know? And so, <laughs> right? And again, you're not necessarily going to know that until over time, right? Of again, having conversations with them. And if you catch them in lies, address them. Mm. Like, address those. Um, because that's something that you don't want to bring into your marriage. Um, one of the things to look for is, can they have a real conversation mm. that goes past your surface level like topics, right? Like, you want to marry someone that you can conversate with. Because again, you're going to be you know, spending all the holidays, birthdays, all those things together, right? Mm-hmm. Every, you know, every day together. And so you want to have someone that you can actually talk to. Are you having good conversation with that person? Um, do they grumble and complain con- constantly or do they live their life with joy? Mm-hmm. So are they a grumbler and complainer? Are they always like, oh, school, right? Are they always like, always have something to grumble and complain about? Or do they live their life with joy? You want to find someone who, obviously, we're all going to have bad days, but you want to find someone who's consistently choosing joy. Because again, that shows that their peace and their um, dependence is on the Lord and he's their source of joy and not their circumstances. That kind of goes back to that mm-hmm. emotional maturity as well. Mm-hmm. And then um, can you rely on them and trust them? Or do they only need you when they want something? Mm-hmm. Um, are they servant hearted? Right? Are they someone who is who is servant-hearted? Right? You want someone who loves people well, because <laughs> one day you're going to have kids, and you want them to love your kids well. You want them to love you well, right? So you want to look at how do they treat other people? Are they servant-hearted? And then would you let them raise your kids? Basically, do you want to reproduce them? Because your the wife is going to spend the most time with the kids. That's just um, you know unless there's like a stay-at-home dad situation, which is becoming more popular. So you know you never know. But you're more than likely right. Right, the wife is going to spend the most time with the kids. So do you trust her with raising your future children? Right, that's a big question. You really got to think about that. Again, these are all questions you've got to ask before getting into marriage. You should really and again and not like you know your first date. 
please don't do it on your first date. Y'all, I had some. <laughs> At Huey's? Ask, yeah, I had a guy ask me so. on the first date about kids, and I was like, what? Kids? <laughs> this is a first date. Right? But once you guys are moving seriously into, like, you know, moving more towards engagement, these are the types of questions that you've really got to start asking. And then lastly, what do their friends look like? We've already talked about them, about that. But again, like really seriously, don't just evaluate them, but evaluate the people they hang out with. Um, because again, if they are being, they're being influenced by them and if their friends are ungodly, then they're probably hiding some sort of part of their life uh, from you as well, putting on some sort of mask for you. And mm. so um, people are really not that different than the friends they hang around. So again, evaluate yeah. not just the girl you like, but also her friends. Well, I've just got one more question for you. It's about marriage, and then I'm going to get you some resources from you that you would recommend. But in marriage, what was something that you were not, that surprised you, that you weren't anticipating? Mm. Be easy. <laughs> easy. So many things. No. Um, <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> I'll do... I'll do two funny and like one serious. So one thing I was not expecting was, um, was the sugar cookie phase, all right? When we first started dating, Daniel did not like sweets. Um, he was not a, uh, like I love sweets. I love ice cream, like cookies, brownies. I'm not picky, like I'll eat anything um, when it comes to that. Daniel is like <laughs> very picky eater. and I'm not um, a picky eater, I have a quiet taste. <laughs> sure, whatever you wanna call it. <laughs> Um, so he, he really didn't like sweets, um, at all, really. Before. I didn't like ice cream. I hate ice cream, man. I really Yeah, do. he hates ice cream, and it's just sort of, you know, that one thing in our relationship. That was one red flag for me, honestly. I really had to think about that. I was like, doesn't like ice cream. <laughs> hmm. I really did. I thought about that, but I was like, I don't know if I can be with someone who doesn't like ice cream, but it works out. <laughs> Part of the evaluation yeah. period. Yeah. Well, so one many... of the things that helped was you took me to go get ice cream. I said, okay, yeah. as long as he takes me to get ice cream, it'll be all right. <laughs> So, but, uh, yeah, part of the evaluation process, but all that to say, it is kind of silly, but like, he didn't like really like sugar cookies when we, when we first started dating or getting, or we're, you know, first two years of marriage, it's been recent, <laughs> but that's the point is that people change and the pe person you're going to marry is going to change as well. And mm. so like Daniel's not the same, same man that he was, you know, three years ago at our, in our first year of marriage. And that's a good thing because he's grown in the Lord and in the sanctification process, and that's what you want. You want someone, again, who's actively pursuing the Lord um, and who isn't going to be the same, but who isn't gonna, who's going to look more like Christ. And so, um, and so that's a good thing when people change. Um, but also be ready for that, that in marriage, you know, people are going to change and our likes and dislikes will change. And so it's a constant adventure of getting to, to continue to get to know that person. And, and that's what makes it fun and makes it exciting and all of those good things. Um, I also didn't expect that you would squeeze the um, toothpaste in the middle of the toothpaste like a psychopath. I was like, oh my gosh. I don't know how she do it. <laughs> Roll like it. a normal person, like start from oh, the bottom no. and like go up. But it takes too much time. Come on, man. It's about the name of the game is time saving in the morning when you're running late. <laughs> I don't know. I was surprised by that. And just the amount of toothpaste you use. I don't know. That was a weird thing. But I was like, he was like every like <laughs> every like four weeks. He's like, I need more toothpaste. So I was like, again, like what are you doing? You're doing something wrong. Um, takes a lot. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So that was something I was I was yeah. you know not anticipating either. There's lots of little things like that in marriage. Um, but the really the serious one was I was, I was truly not expecting um, 
to see so much of my own sin in marriage. Like, I thought I had really, like, I thought when I got married, I was like, okay, like, I feel like I'm in a good spot, like, with the Lord, like, when it comes to sin. Um, I thought I had dealt with a lot of pride. Yeah, no. <laughs> marriage really revealed a lot more of sin um, because I was, had never lived so up close and personal with somebody um, and in such an intimate relationship. And so when you live so closely with someone, it really does reveal a lot of your own selfishness. Um, and marriage really revealed just how far like my pride went. And so um, it's been a, it, it was a humbling experience and, I, and it, it's been good because I've, it's brought me more, it's, it's helped me be more dependent on the Lord um, f- because I need the Lord more to be a godly wife because it's not just about me anymore, right? It's about, it's me and Daniel. And so um, my decisions have more consequences than just for me. And so um, I guess, you know, I didn't realize just how much grace I was going to need in mm. marriage and how you constantly like give me grace and how it's constantly an exchange of grace uh, between each other. Mm-hmm. And I guess like, you, I don't know, you just never really realize it until you're in it of just how sinful yeah. you are and how much grace that you have to extend to each other. But that's the beautiful thing that so helps you see, um, relate a little bit more to the Lord and the grace that he gives us on a daily basis. So yeah. it, it can be hard. Um, marriage again is, is, is both hard and beautiful all in the same time. Um, and it is the second, um, most important decision you'll ever make. First is, do you have a relationship yep. with the Lord? The second is who you're going to spend the rest of your life with. That's um, right. Cause those are, and those are major, um, major, major decisions. And, and again, marriage is for life. That should be your view with marriage, yep. right? Yep. Divorce should never be on the table. Um, and you'll get more into that in a couple of weeks. But mm-hmm. um, that should be, as you date, that's what you have in mind. Yep. It's for life with that person. So that's why it's so, that's why we talk about it. Mm-hmm. Why it's so important mm-hmm. to have those conversations. Um, and I teach ninth grade. And I would tell you that most of my kids don't come from two-parent homes. Mm. Most of my kids, by ninth grade, their parents have gotten a divorce. Um, it's very very rare for me to have students um, that come from, um, you know, two-parent homes these days. And y'all, I can, you can tell a difference. I can go through my class roster and I can tell you, mm. I'm pretty good at it. I can tell you who has two parents at home. Yeah, wow. It affects so much of these kids' lives. And if you have parents, you know, who have gone through divorce, you know that too. And so again, it's just so important that you marry someone who loves the Lord. Um, because again, your decisions and your actions um, will impact more than just you one day. Right, mm-hmm. impact another person eventually, kids. Yeah, very briefly, give us some resources they can write down, some stuff they can take home. Yeah, um, a couple of resources. These are more for um, when it comes to this idea of womanhood and biblical womanhood. Um, but Let Me Be a Woman by Elizabeth Elliot is one. It's a short book. The Bellevue Library has it. It's incredible, <coughs> phenomenal. Let Me Be a Woman. It talks a lot specifically about um, marriage. And so um, I read that um, this last year, and it is just um, incredible. Let Me Be a Woman by Elizabeth Elliot. Um, this next one is for literally everyone. Everyone should read this next one. It's called Love Thy Body by Nancy um, oh man, I think I put the lo- wrong last name. Pearson. Pearson. I wrote the wrong one on here. By Nancy Pearson. Love Thy Body by Nancy Pearson. And at first it looks and sounds like one of those like, um, 
like body, like, oh, love your body type books. But it's not. It is an um, amazing argument. Um, she is an incredibly intelligent woman, and she breaks down um, these ideas of sexuality and gender, um, and she provides a biblical argument. Um, she provides um, scientific argument, logical arguments for the biblical viewpoint of sexuality. And so um, you, she hits mm. so many of our cultural um, issues with sexuality and with um, gender. And so um, it's an incredible, uh, incredible um, book and argument when it comes to um, sexuality and biblical sexuality. So Love Thy Body by Nancy Pearson. And then um, Even Exile by Rebecca Merkel. Even Exile. I just read this one um, a couple weeks ago, actually. Um, and this talks all about, if you want a little, like a good history of the feminist movement and how the feminist movement has um, impacted and changed our culture and this idea of womanhood, this book will walk you through all of it. And so um, it's called Even Exile by Rebecca Merkel. It's a great resource as well. And then obviously the best resource for when it comes to biblical womanhood is the Bible. Yeah. So again, um, like above all else, above all other books and things like that, um, Read the Bible. Oh, one more. I forgot to say this. If you struggle with emotions, um, or if you struggle with like controlling your emotions, Get Out of Your Head by Jenny Allen is one of the best books I've read about that. When it comes to choices and comes to your thought life, Get Out of Your Head by Jenny Allen. Highly, highly, highly recommend that. Yeah. Well, Hannah, I love you. We love you. And what I love most is every answer you've given has been rooted in Scripture. It's rooted in God's Word.